0: wildcat 91.9 Nine, new music now i'm your host cole carmony and today i will be flying solo that's right no ryan wolf today no ryan gilbert but that's okay because i am here to bring you all the latest sports information sports takes that you could possibly ever want we have a lot of things to get to today um today is opening day I'm pre-recording the show because uh, K-State Baseball opens up a three-game set, which we'll talk about that with Texas Tech. So, technically, if you're listening to this, you know what? Listen to the game, uh, or li- listen to the show. Come out to Twenty Family Stadium while you're listening to the show. Come find me. I'll be there, sitting there with my dad. And give me a high-five, and tell me you're listening to the show, and I'll give you a high-five back. So, do that, and like I said, I'll give you a high-five. There you go. Win-win situation. So, we'll talk about K-State Baseball. Uh, like I said, it's also opening day. The Royals played a baseball game today. Now, I can't tell you if they won or not because, quite honestly, the game's probably still going to be going on. It started at 3 o'clock Central Time. They played the Texas Rangers, Kyle Gibson versus Brad Keller, the starting pitchers. But we'll go over the Royals and kind of just talk about uh, what the season is going to look like for them. We'll have a nice little preview of that. So we'll talk a lot of baseball. We'll also talk some K-State basketball. We'll, We'll have a good portion of the show to talk about that. They had two transfers in Marquise Noel and Mark Smith. Uh, two grad transfers. One's a grad transfer. Another uh, will be a junior coming in. So, so we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll also talk about some K State football. That's right. Like I, we, we, it seems like we talk about K State football every week. We haven't talked about the Chiefs that much because really, there's not that much to talk about. Um, we'll get into the Chiefs uh, as we move along here throughout the semester. But K State football, we'll get to tonight. They have a spring game on Saturday. An open practice. You can go watch. 60 minutes. Got to wear your mask. 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock. So we'll, we'll look we'll look at that, uh, maybe give you some things to watch for um, when it comes to K-State spring practice. We'll also hear from Mike Matheny. We'll hear from Van Malone. We'll hear from, yeah, that's who we'll hear from. So there you go. Um, keep it locked in right here, Wildcat919. Once again, you are listening to the Night Shift. Okay. First thing we got to get to is the Kansas City Royals. Because it's baseball season. And the Royals had some pretty awful news, quite honestly, um, yesterday. Which would be today when I'm recording this. And that is that Alberto Mondesi is on the 10-day injured list with an oblique strain. Which, if you know anything about baseball injuries, an oblique strain is quite honestly one of the worst injuries that a baseball player can have. And not because... It hurts, but because it lingers. And that's not good, because Adalberto Mondesi, quite honestly, he holds the keys to these to this team. A healthy Adalberto Mondesi means a healthy Royals lineup. It doesn't matter if you have some other guys out. If Hunter Dozier's out, then Jorge Soler can pick up the slack. If Whit Merrifield's out, then Kyle Isbell, who we'll talk about here in a little bit, might be able to come in and pick up the slack. But with Mondesi out... That's your three hitter. He had been hitting in the three spot the whole entire spring. So not only are you losing a Gold Glove caliber shortstop, an All Star caliber player, you're also losing your number three hitter, who, oh yeah, by the way, is the one of the fastest players in all of Major League Baseball. And oh yeah, he also, he also can put the ball over the wall. So there's no sugarcoating this. This injury to Mondesi could be season altering for the Royals. And you know, Mike Matheny, like I mentioned, we'll hear from him here coming up, but. He said that, you know what, hopefully this is not a long-term thing. This is only a, a week or, or so uh, type of injury. He said they'll reevaluate it here in about two weeks, which honestly, if you're a Royals fan, that's best-case scenario because if you look at the schedule, the way it shakes out, in the beginning part of the season, there's it's notorious for having a lot of off days, which can be looked at as one of two ways. One way, oh, well, there's not a lot of time there's there's a lot of time to get out of stride and not really find a rhythm or in the case of Montesy, if you want to look on the bright side of things there's a lot of time to get healthy so he was on the 10-day injured list on retroactive to the 30th which would be tuesday so he has he will play thursday so he will not play excuse me he will not play thursday against the rangers then there's an off day then there's a Saturday, a game, a Sunday game, a Monday game, an off-day Tuesday, which would be one week, Wednesday, Thursday, off-day Friday, Saturday. So if I'm counting the days right, Tuesday, one, two, three, four on Saturday, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So he could be back for the Saturday game at the Chicago White Sox, meaning he would only miss, count them one game on Thursday, one game on Saturday, one game on Sunday, one game on Monday, there's four, five, six games. So, with that being said, six games is nothing in a Major League season. I think we can all agree on that. But, the fact that this is happening in the beginning part of the season, for somebody who's notoriously, seems like they're constantly injured, is not necessarily a good thing. It worries me a little bit because, I mentioned this, is these are injuries that can linger, and that's the last thing you need for a baseball player because not only does it affect his hitting but it affects his fielding as well and that that worries me because who's the backup oh yeah the guy that got option to triple a and that's nicky lopez which like i said we'll talk about that here in a second but it, there's no there's no way around it i mean monsey being out hurts it really does and i just hope for his sake and for the team's sake that he can get healthy uh, here, here's Manager Mike Matheny on Alberto Mondesi's injury.
1: Didn't see a thing, and you know we're hypersensitive to watching uh, just about everything. So when I got that call yesterday, obviously that um, that wasn't the one we were looking for. But um, it it is what what we do. Uh, we we make adjustments, and it's uh, the next next man up. Uh, so we're starting that uh, early. Um, we were very fortunate that we had as, a, as successful of a spring as we had health wise. Um, but to come down to the very last game right there—that's a—that's a shame because uh, I I hurt for Mondi. Um, I know how hard he's worked. I know how good he looked. Um, just uh, just a shame. And I hurt for our guys. The fact that um, you know something thrown at us right there last minute. But besides that, here's what it is. Uh, now what? Now what is? Uh, we're going to give some opportunity to bring Nikki Lopez back. Uh, Nikki will be out there. Um, Tomorrow, and uh, he'll be uh, playing shortstop for us. But we also know that Hanser Alberto played a very good and a strong, solid shortstop for us through the spring. And we have all the faith in the world to put him there as well. Um, but, you know, just uh, right now, uh, we're uh, hurting for Mondi more than anything else. We know that our guys will come in and um, do what we need to do. Uh, but um, hurting for him here for a little while, you know, we told it's going to be, um, you know, at least a couple weeks. And so somebody else has got to step up and get it done.
0: So that was Mike Matheny, and you know what? I just, like I said, I really feel for Mondesi. Um, but I, I want to take another look at this team now and, and look at the, the roster as it's constructed. I, I can't tell you the opening day roster right now, but I will tell you that there's going to be some guys that are going to be let go. And I Again, I'm since I'm pre-recording this, I don't exactly have the luxury of telling you who is on the team, but I do know that Wade Davis was a minor league free agent, who is on the team. Uh, Kyle Isbell, who is making his major league debut today, he will be on the team starting in right field. Um, another guy that most likely will make the team is Jake Brince, so he'll have to be added to the 40-man. And Irvin Santana is going to make the team as well. So those are all guys that were on minor league deals that they'll have to clear space for on the 40-man, which I'm sure, obviously, they will have done by now. But just looking at the roster, because for the lineup, for for how it shakes out, because I think it's a little bit different now, obviously without Montesi and now Isbell in there. I mean, it's it's very different. Because coming into the season, you had pictured Whit Merrifield as your outfielder with Nicky Lopez playing second base. Well, that was completely different. Kyle Isbell was a man on a mission in spring training for a guy who had never played above A ball. Now, granted, last year was excuse me, last year was weird, but still, I mean, it's so impressive the fact that Kyle Isbell came in and did what he did and put up... He hit three, three thirty in spring training. I mean, that's just unheard of. He's 24 years old. He, he's going to be really good. He, he I, I have a lot of faith in Kyle Isbell. Obviously, the organization does too. So, Kyle Isbell is going to be a player. Now, will he be as good as Alex Gordon was? No. But will he be a serviceable eight-hole hitter, nine-hole hitter in the major leagues at this stage in his career? I think so. And I think when... We're looking at this lineup for these next few games when Mondesi is out. I, I couldn't tell you what the lineup that Mike Matheny trotted out there is going to be because I think it's going to be a lot worse. It's going to look a lot worse without Mondesi. But just strictly assuming that Nicky Lopez starts it short for the most part because he he will hit right he will hit right-handers and Hans or Alberto, who I forgot to mention, who's going to make the team, he will hit left-handers. So th- at least you have a little bit of a platoon situation there. But the way that I see this lineup being maximized, because there's many different ways that you can do it, the 7-8-9 looks not very good. I mean, I'll just be honest. It does not look very good when you have uh, the guys that the Royals are going to be trotting out there without modesty. So the top of the order is pretty much set. It's pretty much set. They're going to go Whitmirafield at second base leading off. They're going to go Benintendi in left field hitting second. They're going to go, I would assume they would go Carlos Santana hitting third and playing first base. Then I would imagine they would go, um, well, see, no. Here's the thing. The deal with if Carlos Santana hits third, I I think they like that idea. I think they're going to put Perez hitting third because they'll go righty, lefty, righty with Perez hitting third and catching. Then they'll go Santana hitting fourth, playing first base. And then I would imagine they'll go Soler batting fifth, as a DH. Dozier batting sixth as a third baseman, so righty-righty. And then in the seventh hole, you'll have Kyle Isbell, who he's a lefty, throws left-handed, hits left-handed. He'll hit seventh. Michael Taylor will hit eighth, I would assume. Center fielder, the new acquisition from the Washington Nationals. I would imagine they would do that just because that way you don't have, you can't stack really um, guys assuming, you know, lefty-lefty-lefty-righty-righty-righty. That makes it easier for pitchers when they come in with the matchups. And so then they would round it out by Nikki Lopez playing shortstop and hitting ninth. Now, is it very possible that they could hit Nikki second and have Kyle Isbell, or excuse me, have Kyle Isbell hit ninth and Nikki hit seventh? Yes, but I don't think they'll do that. I think they like Isbell's gap to gap power. Will he put a lot of balls over the wall? No, but he's a lot like Benintendi. I think that is a very good comparison that I've seen because he's kind of shorter in stature, but he's a great defender, and he hits the gaps, and he has above average speed. So I would expect that to be the opening day lineup again. I'm pre-recording this show, so I don't have any way of knowing 100%, but that's how I would assume that the Royals would go out there and line up. Now you look at the, the starting rotation, and this is where things get interesting because Brad Keller is race. And Brad Keller's a great pitcher. Don't get me wrong. But is he a horse? Is he going to go out and give you six or seven innings every single night? I don't know. Now, Major League Baseball is different than college baseball and really other every single other form of baseball because the bullpens are so dominant. <clears throat> but what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. Because Brad Keller can be that guy, though. I mean, Will he? It's another story, but can he? It's in him. This whole staff can go innings. But because of the shortened season, they're not, not everybody's going to get a chance to go 200 innings. But that's why they signed Mike Minor. So Brad Keller will be one, Mike Minor will be two, Brady Singer will be three, and Danny Duffy will be four. Now, that fifth spot is not going to be something that is needed until later on in the season because of, like I mentioned before, all the off days. So how they handle that will be pretty interesting to see i would really assume that uh chris boobich will come back up he was optioned i would assume that assuming he gets his control a little bit more zoned in chris boobich will be back but the bullpen is nasty I-, I i really love how this bullpen is setting up with scott barlow who's somebody that has been an, uh, he's just been solid overall for the royals since he's been here uh, Josh Stalmont throws 102 miles an hour. He's got a chance to be one of the best relief pitchers in all of baseball. His stuff is absolutely disgusting. Greg Holland was regained his old form. You have him back throwing how he did last year. Huge. <coughs> Huge. That's just such a plus for the Royals because he is quite honestly he was he was unhittable at the end of the year. He completely changed His style and it fit with the Royals perfectly. So Greg Holland will be locked in the back end of that bullpen. You got those three guys Greg Holland, Scott Barlow, Josh Stalmont, and that's not even scratching the surface. Wade Davis made the team. He looked pretty good in spring training. I'll be. He's not the same Wade Davis he was. Let's just set the record straight. This is not the same Wade Davis, but he can get people out. He's a veteran pitcher. The swing and miss maybe is not there like it used to be, but he is, don't get it twisted, he is still a very quality relief pitcher, and Josh, excuse me, uh, I mentioned Josh Stalmont, Kyle Zimmer, assuming he makes the team, another one of those guys, pitched very good at the end of the la- at the at end of last year, I haven't even talked about Jake Junis, a guy who the Royals are extremely high on, obviously struggled a little bit as a starter, but this is going to be a guy who's going to come in and throw a nasty slider, and I really like Jake Junis out of the bullpen, I think he could be a shutdown closer, uh, and Jesse Hahn as well, I mean another guy that just looked dirty at the end of last year, there's Jake Brents also. I keep forgetting these guys. Jake Brents, 102 miles an hour from the left side. There are so many options that the Royals have to run out in the bullpen. It's pretty ridiculous. At the end of the day, the way this roster is constructed, it hurts not having Mondi, but I still have a lot of faith in the Royals that they're going to go out, they're going to surprise some people, and they're going to end up winning some games. Kansas State Wildcats are making moves. And Ryan and I talked about this. Who are they going to get from the transfer portal? Well, the answer is Marquise Noel and Mark Smith. They must just like players with the name Mark in it, obviously. Um, Give you a rundown here. Both of them signed with K-State today. Uh, Mark Smith, graduate transfer from the University of Missouri, spent three years there. Year before that, he was at Illinois. Last season, Smith averaged 9.7 points, 3.2 rebounds, and 30 minutes a game. It's his third college destination, but at 6'5, 220 pounds, he is a guard. And so that is something that is interesting. I think of a Xavier Sneed type, uh, a member of the class of 2017. Smith was a four star prospect, the number five prospect in the state of Illinois. And he was player of the year, according to many uh, outlets in Illinois at the time. The number 16 shooting guard in the class, and the number 79 overall prospect. What does that mean? I don't know. But Smith said that he has a really strong relationship with Coach Weber and Chris Lowry, and they recruited me three times. So I felt this is probably just the best decision for me. And (coughs) we love the fact that I love the fact, personally, that Bruce Weber is going out and getting these guys that have played college basketball at a high level, and we're, we're going to have plenty of time to talk about both of these guys. But I look at this and I think this is exactly the type of player that K State needs. He's a veteran, number one. He's a veteran, number two. The kid is a player. I mean, you don't score ten points up. I mean, ten points. Now it sounds like you know we're kind of just searching for roses here. And, well, what does it mean that, oh, it's his third school. Cool, it's his third school. Like, obviously, if two other programs don't want him, and then we well, just comes to K-State. And I'm like, no, it doesn't work like that. It really doesn't work like that. From multiple sources, I've heard, anyways, that it was mutual. And he didn't get kicked off the team. And you would think that a guy like this might be a locker room trouble. But from everything I have heard, this guy, is he's a good kid. I mean, he will be a leader in that locker room. And... That's what they need, and they also need shooters, and that's what Mark Smith brings that is the most valuable, his ability to shoot the three. Because we know K-State can go periods of scorelessness, and that is the last thing. If you've watched the NCAA tournament, it should tell you one thing and one thing only. These teams can shoot the heck out of the basketball. Last night, Michigan scored 49 points. They lost. How many times did Michigan scored 49 points? Not once the whole entire year. You know how many times K-State? It felt like like every game they didn't even get to 50. So Mark Smith is going to help on the scoring end. And it really wouldn't shock me to see him average 12 or 13 a game. Now, what does that mean if he's averaging 12 or 13 a game? Does that mean that he got better? Or does that just mean that he's just picking up the points that other people didn't get for K-State? I don't know. But I think it's going to help out the offense a lot. Just based solely on the fact that somebody's got to score and he's a proven point getter. So I really like this addition, um Bruce Weber. You won't hear me complimenting him that much quite honestly, but here we are and I'm happy for him because he is basically saving his behind. I mean, if he didn't get anybody in the transfer portal, next year was going to be worse. But they're making moves. This is, does this does not push the needle in the all the way in the right direction, but it definitely helps and I am all on board with this because I think Mark Smith can come in and start and I don't I'm not gonna we'll we'll touch on on Lowell here in a second but I I don't think he can but I I definitely think Mark Smith has the capability to come in and start and one thing I think K-State fans should uh should should look at at Mark Smith as uh one comparison I, I anyways from the little that I've talked to people at Missouri and and watched uh for myself Xavier Sneed, both um both very high volume shooters. Um, Smith averages. He, he, the only concerning aspect with Smith was his three point percentage when he was at Missouri has gradually gone down. But from everybody's perspective at Mizzou, it, it was confidence and it was maybe some friction with the coaching staff. So you would hope that a change of scenery would help that out. He gets hot and he doesn't miss. If you go online and you type in Mark Smith, the first video you'll see is just him just absolutely getting buckets. Uh, for for the Tigers so I I think he brings that ability he doesn't necessarily finish at the rim so don't expect him to bring the athleticism that DeJuan Gordon had but he's one of those guys that is going to shoot the basketball and they're going to shoot a lot he's going to shoot a lot and he might frustrate you because he might miss a lot but he's also going to make it a lot too so Mark Smith overall great get for Kansas State I'm very happy that Bruce Weber Chris Lowry and everybody else involved went out and got a kid like this I think it only helps. I mean, he can't be any worse than shooting the basketball than Dejuan was. The question is, can he do the same defensively? Can he rebound the basketball? Time will tell. I mean, he is not going to be as athletic for sure as Dejuan was, but he's going to be a better overall player in my personal opinion. So I think it's a great get for K-State. Like I mentioned, they had another transfer who signed with Kansas State yesterday. That is Marquise Noel. And I could be pronouncing that extremely wrong. But I believe it's Marquise Noel. It It might be Noel either way. Marquise is from um, Harlem, actually. His Twitter handle is at MrNewYorkCity. So that's pretty cool. Um, Happy for him. Happy for K-State. This one's a little bit more interesting. And this is where I'm going to get off the beaten path a little bit. I don't necessarily understand it. Marquise Noel is 5'7". He's a point guard. Granted, he was first-team all Sun Belt. He scores over 15 points a game all three seasons. Freshman of the year in the conference two years ago. First team for two years. <laughs> but I still don't understand what the point is. Why are you not going after a big guy? Like, to me, this feels like, okay, we offered him, but now that we got Mark Smith, I don't know if we actually need him. That's what this feels like to me. And I feel like this... We're getting into a sticky situation here. No Antonio. Obviously, he's gone. And I'm going to bring up what happened with him here in a second. But... So you feel like you have to go out and get another big guy, right? I mean, that's what I would think. Go get a stretch four. Now, to me... Getting... Marquise Noel tells me that there is somebody that is already in-house who's not going to leave that is going to step up and take Antonio's spot. Now, is that Montavious Murphy coming back from a knee injury? I sure as hell hope so because I don't know who else it's going to be unless it's going to be Siri Lewis who averaged two minutes a game. I mean, freakishly athletic, don't get me wrong, but I don't know how you can depend on him to come in and do what Antonio did after hardly playing at all. Do they think Carlton Lingard is... Magically going to learn how to play defense? I don't know. But obviously, they think somebody on this team can step up and do what Antonio did, or else you wouldn't go out and get another point guard. Because, seriously, they have swapped out Rudy Williams for Marquise Noel and Dejuan Gordon for Mark Smith. Now, on the surface, sure, makes sense. But your options for big guys are waning. You're not going to be able to go out and get somebody right now as you would be able to. Now, I sure as hell hope they go and get somebody, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Now, they very well could, but I just I don't understand how they're going to do this with Nigel Pack, who's not six foot either, and Marquise Nawal, who's 5'7", on the court at the same time. That just smells like a recipe for a disaster. And, again, I hope I'm wrong about this. I don't know anything about Marquise. I don't know anything about his family. I really don't know anything about his game. But obviously, the coaches saw something in him that told them that he can play at this level and that told them that he can fit into this team. I just don't see how he can fit into this team with Nigel Pack. And that's what, honestly, it scares me. I'm not scared Nigel Pack is going to leave. I'm really not. But I don't see how Marquise Noel fits into the offense with Nigel Pack on the court at the same time. And if that's the case, then why are you getting somebody just to sit the bench? And, I, again, I don't think he's going to sit the bench. I think he's going to play. So that's beside the point. The matter of the fact is, though, this is an interesting grab because this is not necessarily something K-State needed. This was not a position of need. I guess you could make the argument with Rudy Williams gone. They needed a backup point guard. So here's Marquise Noel. But I don't think he would come here to sit on the bench. I just don't. Um, one thing I want to get to, I, I brought up Antonio Gordon. And again, this is all chatter, but um, I, I work at Go Cat, and so I, I, I hear things and I see things. There's been some rumors that Antonio Gordon got caught doing some illegal recreational activities at halftime of a game, and he was asked to leave and didn't play the rest of the game, but he got to come back. He was suspended for a game, came back, and then he ended up getting caught doing those same activities. Not at halftime, but Bruce caught him and said, see you later. If that's true, if that happened in the middle of a game, first of all, who the hell does he think he is that he thinks he can do that? Second of all, why did you not kick him off of the team right then and there? Say, grab your stuff, get out. <coughs> As somebody who wants to be a coach, I could not I, I you would have to hold me back. Like that would be a restraining order moment. That is absolutely ridiculous. And quite honestly, I'm surprised Antonio Gordon even lasted this long in Manhattan. Listen, I have talked about Antonio Gordon and said he plays his butt off. But the one thing about Antonio is you could always tell sometimes that it felt like Antonio was a, felt like he was a little bit better than everybody else. And I've never had any personal interaction with Antonio, but I can tell you just from that From the fact that that is a rumor alone is just absolutely ridiculous. That should never have even crossed his mind. How are you going to disrespect your teammates? You're disrespecting your coach. You're disrespecting your school. You're disrespecting your peers by doing that. That is absolutely ridiculous. And so, again, this all comes back on Bruce Weber. If these transfers don't work out and it blows up in his face and we're looking at another rebuild once again, there's absolutely no excuse. But to me, these transfers just solidify the fact that unfortunately, or fortunately, if you're a Bruce supporter, he will be back next year. Mike McGraw's coming back. They're going to have people that are returning. As of right now, it's only Rudy Williams, who just committed to Coastal Carolina, Antonio Gordon, who in all likelihood will go to Tulsa, um, Dejuan Gordon, all likelihood will go to DePaul, and um, uh, Joe Petrakis, who... Wichita State has been reaching out. Those are the only guys right now. I don't know if there's going to be any more people. I would suggest if there was, it's probably going to be Siri Lewis and Carlton Lingard, but we haven't heard anything yet. Obviously, if they're not going to go out and get a big, they think those guys are going to stay. You're getting your team back like this. You're adding some experience and true guys who can score points. There's no reason you shouldn't be more successful next year. That's all I have to say about K-State basketball. I think it's interesting. We'll see how it plays out, but these two transfers, I really, I, I like Mark Smith a lot. The jury will be out on Marquise Noel. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to happen, but you know what? I'm happy I'm not a coach, so we'll sit back and, and we'll see what happens. So like I mentioned, K-State Baseball is playing, and yes, they're playing right now. And I am at the game, so like I said, come give me a high five if you see me. And I'll give you bonus points if you give me a high five. While you're listening to the exact point, here we go. Here we go. Ready? Three, two, one. There's the high five. So, <laughs> K State Baseball is playing Texas Tech right now. And I don't have any clips of Pete Hughes. I have not had a chance to go through and grab those. But Pete Hughes talked to the media yesterday morning. And I got to tell you guys, it was interesting because uh, K State Baseball has been off to. A fairly decent start right now. We're they're sitting at 13 and 10. They have lost four straight games in a row, but there's you look at the individual performers on the team, and it, it makes you smile because they do have some players on that team that are going to be really stinking good. Jordan Wicks, who's pitching right now for K State, is going to be a top 15 pick in the Major League Draft, and I don't think K State has ever had a top 15 pick in any sport ever. So go out to the ballpark on normally Friday nights. are starting their series on tonight on Thursday, but normally on Friday nights, go out to the ballpark. Watch this guy pitch because he's going to be a big leaguer. So Jordan Wicks obviously is great. Carson Seymour, another one of those guys who's going to get drafted. He's got a chance to make the major leagues too. Those are two guys that could potentially be major league baseball players that go to school at K-State, that get to pitch in Manhattan. Go support them. Go watch the games. I understand attendance is... Um, restricted right now, but it's going to open up here pretty soon. And I would tend to think that K State's going to start playing some better baseball here soon. But nonetheless, those two guys are really having good seasons. Uh, the third starting pitcher is Connor McCullough, and Connor has struggled on Sundays. There's no doubt about it. The last two games, he's gotten not out of the fifth inning, and as opposed uh, before those two starts, he had a .74 ERA. So that's not good. But you got three guys who, throughout the season, take away those two starts from Connor and McCullough, and they have potentially top 15 in the country as far as starting pitcher ERA, strikeouts, all that combined. So, yeah, this pitching staff is good. This is the best pitching staff K-State has ever had. I had I had a chance to talk with Matt Walters, who does the games for KMAN, and he just he, he said the same thing. I mean, this is the best pitching staff K-State's ever had. So, go out and watch this team play. Um, that is good if you are if you are a K-State baseball fan I understand it's rough right now I really I really I get it but four games in baseball is not the end of the world even in college baseball now it might seem like it because the number four team in the country right now is in Manhattan Kansas in Texas Tech but K-State has a chance I mean you just have to stick with the program Pete Hughes said it it starts with infield defense and that's how they have to do it I mean You have to put the ball in play. This is what I always tell my kids. Put the ball in play. Field the root. excuse me, put the ball in play. Make the routine plays and throw strikes and good things are going to happen. If you do two of those three things better than your opponent, you will win the game. So it comes down to a matter of doing it. It comes down to a matter of wanting it more, focusing on the fundamentals. As cliche as that sounds, as coach speak as that sounds, unfortunately for baseball, it's true. K-State needs to do that this weekend if they want to have a chance to win. I mean, that's just plain and simple. Texas Tech has some absolute studs on the team. And their pitching staff is good as well, so they got to do the little things. Pete Hughes said, hey, some guys are going to get the take sign. I haven't given the take sign out in three years that I've been here. Well, guess what? You play for the name on the front, not on the back. And I don't even think the names are on the back of the jerseys for K-State. Again, another cliche. I'm full of those tonight. Whatever. The point is, they're going to be fine. You just have to believe it. You have to believe it. And I think those guys do. I really do. I look at some of that. I look at the kids on those team, on that team, excuse me, and and I see kids that really care about the program. I mean, you would not get these guys like Chris Ceballos, who's been here for four years, and he played two years at Juco. I mean, six years in college, for him to come back, I mean, that says a lot. Cameron Thompson same situation. He started for four years at K-State. He gets the extra year of COVID, comes back. He's He was a fifth-year starter. A fifth-year starter. I mean, that is unheard of in any sport. So, yeah, I mean, these kids care about the program. They wouldn't come back if they didn't like Pete Hughes. So it's not a matter of, oh, Pete Hughes. Uh, blah, blah. Guess what? They like playing for him. And another thing I want to talk about. There is a situation going on within K-State's baseball team. It's called outfielders. They can't hit. There is one out, one or two out. I guess you could say two. Dylan Phillips, leading hitter on the team, or was up until this weekend, struggled this weekend, but up until this point had been awesome. Zach Akoska, nine home runs, tops in the Big 12. Those two guys got the corners locked. Who's playing center field, you ask? That's a great question. (coughs) I couldn't tell you. I will tell you this. Cole Johnson, transferred from TCU. He got hurt in practice two days ago, so he will not be playing center field. Cameron Usleton, a freshman, played there a lot over the weekend. Another guy that got playing time is Dom Hughes. Dom Hughes. Why does that name sound familiar, you ask? Because that is Dom Hughes, the son of head coach Pete Hughes. Dom Hughes is hitting 192 on the season. That's not good. But you cannot get mad at Pete Hughes for this. And I have had people absolutely try and tear me apart on this take, but I'm going to stick to it. A kid would not be playing at K-State. The kid would not be playing at K-State if he wasn't good enough. So instead of bagging on him and bagging on the coach, understand that Pete Hughes is looking for answers right now. So, yeah. He's going to throw every single outfielder he has out there to try and do something because nothing is working. They cannot hit the ball. They need solutions. They don't need, they don't, they don't want to get outs. This isn't daddy ball. He's not just putting Dom Hughes out there because he's his kid. For people to think that, quite honestly, is stupid. Look around. These guys are athletes. Dom Hughes is small. Yes. But he can hit the ball. He can play defense. He's fast. Is he struggling right now? Yes. Is Caleb Little Jim another fifth-year senior, struggling right now? Yes. Caleb uh, Usselton, freshman, you don't know what you're going to have for him. Cole Johnson, hurt. Yes. Blake Burles can't hit the ball. He hasn't been able to hit the ball for four years. So, yeah. There is a outfield struggle in center field right now. Understand that. Don't get mad at the coach for playing his kid. I asked Pete Hughes in a roundabout way, like, hey, what's the deal? Why are you playing? And he literally said, we are looking for answers. This is not a, I'm going to play my son because he's my son and he deserves to play. Listen, Pete Hughes had Thomas Hughes transfer in from OU, started at shortstop every single game, was the team's best player. So if he sucked, I really don't think Pete Hughes would play him. Pete Hughes is not that type of coach. There's a reason this guy won a 700th victory two weekends ago, because he's a damn good coach. I don't agree with everything he does, but that doesn't mean that he's playing his son because it's daddy ball. And for people to have that opinion, it it really fires me up. And I really think this team's headed in the right direction. And it's stuff like that that causes divides in the locker room. Because if you think that the players don't pay attention to what the fans think, you're wrong. And if the players are thinking that, that's another issue. But I really don't think that because from everything I've heard, they love playing for Pete Hughes. And they have an opportunity this weekend to go out and to make a name for themselves to go out and stun the college baseball world personally i don't know if that's going to happen i I think they can get at least one i really do i mean there's no reason they can't get at least one the pitching is, is is almost better than texas tech there's a reason texas tech was in the college world series two years ago do not get me wrong all those guys are back they're all running around that's why they're top five in the country so yes will it be tough yes can they do it yes they can do it. And hopefully, by the time this is airing, K-State has like a 4-0 lead, and we're in the fifth inning, and everybody's happy. You know, No guarantees on that one, but I just think it's ridiculous the fact that people are giving up on this baseball team already because they lost four games in a row. Who cares? Who cares? You've had an awful season. If you're listening to this show, you're most likely a K-State fan. Guess what? Your sports season has sucked. I got news for you. It's been awful. K-State football, absolute suckage at the end of the year k-state basketball i'm not even going to begin to talk about that i mean i already talked about it for 15 minutes but you get the vibe i mean seriously invest in this team invest some time in this team you will enjoy it guess what they play at six o'clock on the weekends and and four o'clock on sundays you can watch the royals at one o'clock and then you can flip on espn plus listen to brian smoller and enjoy your time and guess what on the weekday games, tune in right here on Wildcat one nine because we will have you covered. Somebody will be out doing the games. There is no excuse for you not to like K-State baseball. Again, three-game series this weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Thursday's at 6, Friday's at 6, Saturday is at 4 o'clock. Check this team out. They deserve it. They have a chance to win three games this weekend. They have a chance to get out of their slump, and I think they're going to do it. So from one spring sport to the other, spring football. We talked about it last week. K-State will have an open practice on Saturday from 11 o'clock in the morning to 12 o'clock. And it's going to be interesting because how are they going to do it? I don't know. I mean, I really hope we get to see some scrimmage. And I personally love the fact that there is no spring game because spring games are the most useless thing on the planet. What is the point of a spring game? Just have practice. The fact that they did away with the spring game is the best thing they could ever do because nobody is going to go to a spring game right now when there's limited attendance, when we already seen everything. like That's the point that I always got. Unless you're in Alabama, unless you're in Oklahoma, unless you're in Florida, a big-time program where you're going to have super, super fan attendance, there's no reason to put your players in uniform and to go out there and play each other because... A, the coaches aren't going to show anything special. B, you don't know if the offense is good or if the defense is bad or if it's vice versa. You don't know. There's nothing to take away from it. It's not like a game. Now, I I truly wish that in the springtime they could have jamborees. And if you're not familiar with what a jamboree is, teams go and scrimmage each other. If they had a jamboree where K-State went, and let's just say they went and they had two weeks. okay? So they had their open practice this week. Let's say next week they would host a jamboree. And they'd play Nebraska, they'd play Iowa. And maybe something else that makes geographical sense, like Colorado State or something like that. Somebody you would never probably play. You could do it with Big 12 schools, but I think doing it with you know, a team, a non-conference team, you'd never play would make more sense. And just scrimmage them. I mean, let's see what you got. Bring it. Let's see some competition. Now, the NCAA would never do this, but I think it would be amazing. I think you would have some fun. You'd bring be able to get people in in a normal year. Oh, heck yeah, a lot of people would come. Could you imagine how many people would come, watch these exhibition scrimmages? I mean, just play like preseason games. I mean, I don't understand why not. So that's definitely something that I wish they would do. But um, getting back on topic here, on Saturday, go out. Go check it out. It's going to be fun because they're going to scrimmage each other, I have a feeling. And I just said that, oh, well, there's no point in doing a spring game. You're just not going to know. But the good part about this is you're going to see rotations. It's going to be more practice. And if you're a football nerd like me, it's perfect. Because you're going to see the intricacies of how K-State has been working this spring. We'll hear from Van Malone, cornerbacks coach and assistant head coach, uh, soon. But, yeah, I mean, this will be it'll be a fun time. I mean, we're going to see Jake Rubley, who is literally, isn't it crazy, though? Jake Rubley. How hyped he is! He is. He should be. A, still be a senior in high school, but he enrolled early, so we'll get our first look at him. Will Howard, who um, they say has made super big strides, will also be playing at the quarterback position, and of course, the beloved Skylar Thompson. So, how they handle all those quarterbacks will be interesting. That's that's going to be one of my main things I'm watching for. Um, another thing I'm going to be looking at is the receivers, because let's face it, that position was absolutely awful in the fall they want to be successful this year the receivers have to step their game up and it actually blows me away that they didn't go out and utilize the transfer portal and to bring in a receiver because right now sebastian taylor's hurt so we're not going to see him this week and he tore his acl in the last game of the season but he'll be back for the fall uh, malik knowles and keenan garber are your two outside receivers and they have talked up keenan garber a lot he'll be a uh, redshirt sophomore out of uh, lawrence free state high school so, how he handles this season as somebody who's going to get significant playing time will be interesting. This is one of those sink or swim years for uh, for him and, and Malik Knowles, too, because everybody knows what happened last year with Malik Knowles, and that was just a train wreck. There's just no other way around it. Malik Knowles was good as gone, going to transfer to North Texas. I, I still believe, I don't know a confirmation on this, but I believe there was a sit-down with him and Chris Kleiman, and they had a little heart-to-heart and said, listen here, buddy, uh, you're either staying and you're going to be a Wildcat, or you're going to leave right now because we are not going to have you play out the season and then leave. So this is make or break for Malik. It really is. But it's also make or break for Courtney Messingham and Jason Ray. And the reason I say that is Jason Ray is no longer the receivers coach. He's a tight ends coach. Well, what happened to the tight ends coach? Oh, yeah, that's Courtney Messingham. He's the receivers coach. Mess is usually a receivers coach, so this is his natural position uh coaching the receivers. We'll see. I think this is one of those problems where Kleiman went to Messingham and said, Hey, we got a problem on the offense. You run the offense. Fix it. And Mess said, Okay, you know how I'm fixing it? Well, I'll be in charge. Another guy that's in charge is Van Malone. Here's what he had to say about practice so far. Well oh, it's been
1: great. It's been great so far. The guys um you know they came they come every day of course ready to work and it's been a it's been uh Practices where we feel like as as a staff, we've continued to get better, uh, continue to grow and continue to continue to get uh, younger guys that we hadn't necessarily seen as much uh, get reps. Uh, we've got quite a few guys who were, um, you know, post-surgery. And so to be able to have them out and watch and, 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 and get mental reps has been good as well. So it's been great so far. We still got a lot of work to do, though.
0: And listen, Van Malone, is he's an awesome coach. He's going to be a head coach. There's no doubt about it in my mind. I mean, he is just such a cool guy. But on the defensive side of the ball specifically, what I'm going to be looking for is the linebacker position. And it worries me. It worries me a lot because they lose some studs. I mean, let's be real. Justin Hughes and Elijah Sullivan were studs. And there's nobody behind them. I mean, right now your 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 inside linebacker, your best inside linebacker coming back is Cody Fletcher. Listen, thankful that Cody Fletcher came back and it's a smart decision for him because he was not gonna play in the NFL. He was gonna go and he was gonna do whatever he's gonna do in life. And he's still that's probably still what's gonna happen. Cody Fletcher's gonna come back and be the middle linebacker of this football team though. Now, I would go out on a limb go out on a limb and say he has improved since last year. I would hope anyway. But behind him, I mean, there's nobody. Daniel Green played a lot last year. He's not bad, but he's not exactly Elijah Sullivan and Justin Hughes. Uh, Behind him, who do you have? Crickets? 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 You know who it is? It's Ryan Hennington. Ryan Hennington, that's right. Junction City, Kansas. Stand up! Ryan Hennington, former quarterback, turned safety when he came to K-State. Famously, or infamously had to come in and play at the first game of the season last year got absolutely torched in that upset lost to Arkansas State he's gained a few pounds they've moved him down to middle linebacker and Joe Kleinerman absolutely loves him again I don't know what that means I really don't but if Ryan Hittington has seen significant snaps for this football team that is not good I don't care what anybody says that is not a knock on Ryan Hittington that is a knock on not being able to bring in somebody from the outside to play middle linebacker. Now, did they go out and get somebody to play technically middle linebacker? Yes. Eric Munoz, transfer from Utah State. I, I, I haven't heard anything about him this spring, so I don't know. So he will be somebody that I will be personally watching. I want to see if he can come in and make an impact on this team. Personally, I'm skeptical. Just based solely upon the fact that we have no idea what we're going to see at that position. And at a position that is so important as middle linebacker, it is absolutely frightening that we don't know who's going to play. I mean, it just is. The secondary is going to be good. We know that for a fact. Julius Sprint's transfer from Iowa has absolutely blown people away so far this spring. Echo Boido came in absolutely overperformed, complete, complete was snubbed, quite honestly, from uh, the all-conference team. He should have been at least um, a second-team cornerback. He, he he performed great last year. Justin Gardner, again, another kid came in, absolutely overperformed. Great. Three cornerbacks right there. And then they bring in Rush East, former four-star recruit. He played at Louisville for four years to be back in the safety. And Jerron McPherson comes back. Suddenly, you're looking at a secondary that could be the best in the Big 12, and that is not an exaggeration. So the secondary I'm not worried about. Moving over to the defensive line, that's another position where I'm really not worried about. I mean, sure, you're losing Wyatt Hubert. You know, Obviously, that's a big loss. Anytime one of your guys like Wyatt Hubert, who is going to be an NFL player, moves on, that's a big loss. But, boom, Massey comes back, who... By all intents and purposes, has been the anchor of that defensive line so far this spring. He is gonna be a guy that's gonna have a breakout season. And another guy that's gonna have a breakout season is Khalid Duke. We saw flashes of that last year. But Khalid Duke can realistically lead the Big 12 in sacks. And I don't think I don't I'm not exaggerating. Like I think this kid can put up 10 sacks. Which is really freaking good. I mean, Khalid Duke is fast, he's strong, he is big. He is everything that you need a pass rusher to be. Wyatt Hubert was great, don't get me wrong, but there was times when he was kind of forgotten about. You're not going to be able to forget about Khalid Duke. When you have Khalid Duke and Bronson Massey on the edge, you will be fine. Those guys are going to be able to rush the passer. Moving to the inside, Jalen Pickle emerged last year. I mean, that's a guy, he's huge. He's six seven. I mean, you don't see nose tackles like that. He is going to be a guy... That can absolutely wreak havoc. Uh, Robert Hintz, another guy, transferred in from uh, Northwest Mississippi Junior College. Didn't get a lot of action last year, but when he did, it was very effective. Timmy Horn, the transfer from Charlotte, will come in as well and see some playing time at the defensive tackle position. And it's going to be fun. I, I'm really excited for K-State um, on the defensive line and in the secondary. But again, it's that linebacker position where you worry a little bit and so how they handle that is going to definitely be something to monitor um on saturday if you're going to the game to practice on saturday i will be there covering the game for go power cat or covering the practice for go power cat excuse me come say hi give me a high five just like this there you go another high five we love high fives on the night shift um that's k-state spring football and that's really what to watch for with all of that being said it is officially time for America's Favorite Segment. Who let the dog Who let the dogs out? Right. The dog of the week hold it, hold it, hold it, hold makes its return. It, it, Unfortunately, the since there's hold no hold it, hold Ryan Folk, I will the the be the only one with the dog of the week. But the dog of the week this week is Kyle Isbell. We talked about him earlier. Kyle Isbell, the starting right fielder for the Kansas City Royals spring training stats as a whole 23 games 50 at bats 14 hits 10 runs the three doubles two home runs five rbis two stolen bases with a batting average of 333 and an on base percentage of 420 nice kyle isbell congratulations buddy you're the starting right fielder of the kansas city royals you're also the dog of the week so good for you um Usually, I would say, Ryan, what's your dog of the week? And he'd go, doo, 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 doo. and I, I, you know, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to do that. But we do have the biggest winner and the biggest loser. Well, guess what? You know who the biggest winner is? The biggest winner of this week is the UCLA Bruins. That's right, they're going to the Final Four, and they beat my Michigan Wolverines. And I was debating on making Michigan my loser of the week, but my loser of the week is so much better. UCLA, an 11 seed from the first four to the Final Four. That's only been done one other time. Obviously, the first four hasn't been around that long, but the only other time that it was done was by VCU and Shaka Smart, who, by the way, left Texas to be the head coach at Marquette. Crazy, right? Um... UCLA, Mick Cronin, congratulations. You're the biggest winner of the week, and you're also in the Final Four. Now, that might be very uh, short-lasted because, guess what? You're playing the Gonzaga Bulldogs. So, yeah, that might not be fun, but you're in the Final Four. You get to do another week of the bubble. You get to get COVID tested. Congratulations. You're the biggest winner of the week. Now, the biggest loser... You're going to have to bear with me on this one because this one is interesting. The biggest the biggest loser are Kansas Jayhawk fans. What? Cool. why do you always hate on KU? I'm not hating on KU. Guess what? Remember when everybody was excited about Quentin Grimes going to KU and how he was going to lead us to a Final Four? Quentin Grimes is in the Final Four. He doesn't play for Kansas. He plays for Houston. Kansas fans Quentin Grimes the guy that you love to hate he's in the final four with the Houston Cougars so that makes you Kansas Jayhawk fans the biggest loser of the week a random sports stat then we'll get out of here Frank Robinson is the only player to be named MVP in both leagues Frank Robinson former great and the reason why we had to end it on a random sports fact Is because it is opening day. So that's going to do it. Thanks for hanging out here on Wildcat 91.9. The Night Shift with me, Cole Carmody. Once again, I appreciate you all for tuning in, for listening. We talked about everything. Go Royals. It's going to be a fun year. K-State baseball. They're right around the corner. Football on Saturday. The National Championship game, which I didn't even talk about, is going to be on Monday that time of the year thanks so much for tuning in this is Cole Carmody signing off stay safe out there